0: Hey everyone, and welcome to... Wait, what? Oh! Ooh, this is a sparkly bonus episode of Epicurean Unicorn. Hello everyone, it's Brayden here. Once again, a little bit lonely in our empty club unicorn. Shut down this early in the morning. Here with another special bonus episode. This week, wrapping up the end of the high holiday season for the Jewish people. And I had a special guest, Rabbi Eric Goldberg, come by, tell us a little bit about Yom Kippur and how it works into the food, history, and culture of the Jewish people. And without further ado, here we go. And we have Rabbi Eric Goldberg with us. Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Goldberg, for coming on and taking some time with us during a very, very busy time of year for you. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Braden. Appreciate being here. We just had uh, the new year. We just had Rosh Hashanah. Following on the heels of the new year, there's another holiday, another one of the high holy days, Yom Kippur. Could you explain to everyone who's listening a little bit about that holiday? And for those listening, it might seem odd at first why we're bringing this up on a, a food show, but it, food at the end plays a, plays an important part for people. I, from my personal experience you know, with, with my wife, I can say that, so... Could you explain, yes, a little bit, please, about about the next High Holy Day that's coming up?
1: Sure. And just to kind of tie the two holidays together, you mentioned the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, and then 10 days later, Wim Kippur. And in Jewish tradition, the idea is during that 10 days, we kind of personally reflect on the year that has passed, the actions we've taken, the words we've said, ways we've treated people, and take a look at how we want to one of the big words in in these ten days in Hebrew is teshuva, which means to return. So, kind of, the per, we want to focus on returning to the person that we want to be, and whether that's with other people or, or how we treat our our family. Any of those things are important to what we do in our reflection over these ten days. And traditionally, as well, there's an idea that God is also taking a look at the year that has passed and um, deciding what our fate will be for the future for the next 365 days. So Yom Kippur is a 24 hour period that comes at the end of those 10 days uh, on which we fast entirely. No, nothing to drink, nothing to eat um, with a few little bits of exceptions, depending on who people are. For example, if people are um, need to take medicine in order to make it through the 24 hours, of course they're allowed to eat or drink if that is required. Similarly, um, people who are pregnant, are able to eat and drink during that 24-hour period. So kind of a, a couple of categories of people who are able to eat and drink. But essentially, Yom Kippur, which means in English, the Day of Atonement, is the day on which we fast and really focus on kind of the year that has passed.
0: When the day is over and when you can now eat, when you can break the fast, are there any traditional ways that people would go about breaking the fast?
1: Sure. So let me just take one step back to kind of let everyone know that one of the reasons we do fast, there are many, but one of the reasons we do fast is to remind ourselves as we feel those hunger pains throughout the day of other people, whether in our own community or throughout the world who do not have food every day. And it's a reminder to us that one of the mitzvot, one of the commandments in Judaism is to take care of those who do not have enough food and so as we feel those pains on during that 24-hour period of yom kippur it's a reminder to us as we go forward to take care of those who need food each and every day in terms of breaking the fast first and foremost as i said it's a 24 hour period so we break the fast when the sun goes down so it's a dinner type of meal uh, for most people and the idea is, you know, every family kind of has their own traditions. There are some people who have a big meal and really kind of get together in a non-COVID world with as many family members as possible. Um, there are other people who, after a day of fasting, don't feel like eating too much, so they'll eat something light or something that is of, um, you know, a little something easier that goes into the into the system. And there's other people for whom. You know, depending on whatever the day may be, they have a specific tradition. So we know families that get together on Sunday evenings to have meals together and they would eat their kind of traditional Sunday evening family meal, or there may be um, kind of foods that are traditional based on one's culture or um, based on the countries from which the family came from that those families eat. So you'll find everything from you know, kind of what might be considered traditional Jewish foods, American Jewish foods like bagels with locks and cream cheese, to things like cocoa, would be my best to explain in a little bit, um, if you would like, all the way to every type of international food that you can imagine. Because one of the things that has been a kind of a historical reality for the Jewish people is that as history has um, gone on, we have been scattered from country to country. And I think one of the things, you know, and hopefully everybody who's involved in the world of food knows, is that uh, it's amazing to pick up little pieces of information and recipes from other cultures, and the Jewish people have done that as we've gone along the way as well.
0: That actually leads me to a few thoughts, one of which is on and off topic, which is how we love to operate on this show. Have you ever gotten a chance? We're both located uh, in the Philadelphia area pre-covid did you ever get a chance to go and eat at abe fisher down in philadelphia
1: uh we know abe fisher very well i will tell a small connected story
0: oh fantastic
1: Um, the first the first year of rabbinic school we go to israel for the year we live in jerusalem for the school year and you know people are coming from all over the world certainly all over the united states to join us there and um People know, I think, that Abe Fisher, uh, Michael Solomonoff is one of the people yes. very much involved there. Mm-hmm. And Michael's one of Michael's partners over the years is is named Stephen Cook, which yes. people know who yep. people know as well. So Stephen's brother is a rabbi in the uh, in the Champaign, Illinois area, and he and I were classmates with each other. Stephen's brother, so um, we are well acquainted with the uh, Solomonoff and uh, Cook worlds
0: of food. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Wow. That's a great story. I love, I've only been able to go to Abe Fisher once, but like Abe Fisher, Zahav, I love the way that those restaurants, especially Abe Fisher bring in the food of the diaspora and all the different countries where the Jewish people have gone through. You know, if you do live in the area and haven't gotten a chance to go, go to Abe Fisher, uh, go to Zahav, Goldie, Uh, Dizengoff. These are great, great restaurants um, from the, uh, the cook solo restaurant group in Philadelphia Now, though, I have a second question because you brought it up. Sure. And I've always wanted to know this. And when I ask my wife, she just says, well, because it's just because bagels. How did bagels become the staple food of, I would say, the, you know, the Jewish American people, especially in the greater New York City area, which is where my wife's family is from. That's how my wife's family will break fast on Yom Kippur. When it's time to break fast they put out a challah and some orange juice and that's the first thing that everybody has and then there's bagels with probably 30 different items that you can put on the bagels right
1: and the challah of course is reminding you the challah is the braided bread it's a reminder to us kind of of the intertwining of that which is sacred and that which is the everyday is a reminder to us of kind of that's really what blends our lives together those things those moments that are truly holy and then The moments that are equally as meaningful, but kind of more everyday meaning as for the bagel itself, um, I am going to have to say that I am not a bagel expert, Um, but I will say one thing is that you find the bagel more in um, Ashkenazic Jewish communities than in Sephardic Jewish communities. So just as a brief note for your listeners. Um, Ashkenazic Jews are those who trace their background to Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union and that part of the world. And Sephardic Jews trace their roots back towards Morocco, Spain, North Africa, Iran, Iraq, that part of the world. And so, you know, in the United States, there is a much larger Ashkenazic population than there is a Sephardic population. So for a lot of our families here um, who come from those backgrounds, including my own family, that was the way in which you broke any fast, celebrated any holiday, along with probably, you know, good old matzo ball soup and, you know, things like that. But the idea really was to have things like white fish and, um, you know, lox and kippered salmon and some of those other products that some of us love and others of us look at and go, not for me, (laughs) Um, but, you know, that really was, we can all, for those of us who have been in that experience can envision walking most likely into our grandmother and grandfather's house and on the kitchen table or the dining room table was the giant tray from the local deli that had all of the things that I just mentioned there, the blocks of cream cheese, the olives, the pickles, all that kind of stuff. And But as to why the bagel made it as compared to another type of bread, I, I honestly cannot give you an answer to that question.
0: No, that's still, that's a really interesting answer because we see that, in a lot of the food uh is that it does seem to depend on where the people came from you know the type of food that my wife would consider jewish food is really american jewish food whereas like the restaurants that we talked about earlier say zahav that's really israeli food that's the food you know from israel which is different than the the type of food you wouldn't necessarily go into zahav and find bagels right it's a, it's a completely Correct. different type of food uh which so is... i'll say
1: i'll say t- i'm sorry to interrupt i'll say yep. t- i'll say two things One is in Israel, that percentage of Ashkenazic and Sephardic are much closer to 50-50 than they are here in America, where Ashkenazic tends to be a more dominant um, group of people in terms of numbers of people in America, numbers of Jews in America. Um, And one of the things that you will, you know, kind of, I guess it's a little bit of a joke in a, it's a little bit of a joke in the community on a certain level that if you are from an Ashkenazic family, of course your family would eat like matzah ball soup or brisket or those type of items for any given holiday or Shabbat. But if you ask the Sephardic Jew, you know, they might eat things more like, I'm going to pick a few dishes here that are Yemenite in nature, jachnun um, or malawach or something like that, and, you know, which are delicious and wonderful. And if anybody ever gets the chance to um eat them or make them from someone who is, you know, of that community. So the, you know, really where Jewish food is born out of really, in many ways, depends on where your family comes from. And many of us are from families that come from many different places. So you may find a multiplicity of different kinds of food at anyone's break the fast or, you know, holiday celebration.
0: Thank you very much. I was really thinking we'd get a little bit of a conversation about breaking the fast, why we fast. Uh, And then we had a whole nice little conversation about Jewish food. And I've learned a few things about why the, uh, the food is the way it is. I never really thought about where the people actually came from. And the percentage of those people in the various countries, even though it was uh, something I knew, I never really thought that much about it. And I really appreciate you bringing that forward and reminding me that there's always something beneath the surface, that there's always more to the question or more to the story to really understand any group of people and their culture and their food. So thank you very much for the really interesting conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much. As we say in Hebrew, Gamar Chatimatova. May we all be get a good stamp for this year, and may we have a wonderful, as we say, fifty-seven eighty-one. That's the Jewish year this year, and uh, Shana Tova.
0: Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Thank you very much, Rabbi Goldberg. Really appreciate having you stop by and have that chat with us. Please remember, if you are a listener and you have a food culture and a food history that you would like to share, please reach out to us. It's best to email us at epicureanunicorn at parados.com. You may send in a story that you would like read on the air, or reach out and we can discuss how we can have you on to tell your story. So again, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And check out these interesting bonus episodes. They'll be dropping a little more frequently now as various holidays, and festivals and special occasions are happening throughout the year. So take care. Be seeing you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, baking troubles, or just epicurious about the topics discussed today, you can send an email to epicureanunicorn at parados.com or give us a call at 215-402-7147. If your question is short and sweet, we might even feature it on the show. Epicurean Unicorn is a production of the Parados Corporation. Keep spreading the magic.